Romans chapter 6. I memorized it years ago, forgot it, rememorized it a few times. Um, if there was a couple chapters of the Bible to go over and memorize, it would be Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 8. I memorized both of them at one time, was able to quote them from front to back. If you don't do that all the time, that goes away. I wish I was better than that. Uh, I want to talk to you about the horror of perverted grace. Though that is a very negative title, this is really a positive message. It's going to help us. Uh, my One of my functions as a pastor, God called pastor, is to warn you of pitfalls and dangers that spiritually are out there. And one of the things I'm going to do this morning is, is somewhat of a warning, a heads up. Years ago, there was a thing called the Grace Awakening. Uh, I have read and do like uh, Chuck Swindoll and, and some of what he writes. He wrote pulling, uh, Killing Giants and Pulling Thorns. I like that little book. He wrote a book on marriage I thought was very helpful. But his book on Grace Awakening was not. There was a line that was crossed and possibly took what he said even further. A lot of people do that. People will take what a teacher will say and, and, and go past what they meant. And the word heretic in the Bible simply means to go too far. When somebody goes too far with something, they become a heretic. You're not to add to the Word of God or take away from it. Uh, we, do, we need to be careful about what we do with the Bible. This thing called the Grace Awakening, it, was, it turned in kind of into a movement. It was received with wild enthusiasm. The problem is that it was received by most, the most worldly Christians um, in Christianity. It was used to justify any lifestyle that they wanted to live. It was used to justify worldly behavior, worldly associations, and worldly friendships. Jesus said, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. I mean, the Bible says it. You can't be, you can't have both. I would like to tell you as a Christian, you can have, you can be pleasing to God and pleasing to the world, but you cannot. You've you got to draw a line. You've got to make the decision. That's based on what God says. You're not a friend of the world and a friend of God. Now, what I mean by the world, I'm not talking about the birds, the bees, the flowers, and the trees. I'm not talking about the sunsets and the clouds and the seasons. I'm talking about the philosophy of the world, their philosophy of life, their philosophy of, of functioning. It's a way different philosophy than the Bible teaches. And you, as a Christian, when we get born from above, uh, we are birthed inside out. Uh, we, we change from the inside out. Our whole value system changes. That's God's goal. From the world's value system to God's value system. Our, our whole set of uh, attitudes and accountabilities change from the world's to, the, to God's. Now, I'm not saying that that's not a process, because that is a process. <clears throat> but positionally, it happens immediately, but then practically, it's play, it's, it plays its way out. 
It's what they call growing in grace. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. God has a whole other set of temptations for old people. He really does. That was said to me when I was young, and I thought it was curious, but old people have a whole other set of temptations. When I was 28, my temptations were different than they are at 68. I have a, a different set of temptations. It's interesting. So we're growing, and we're, we're mo- being molded in the very image of Christ by the Holy Spirit, and also that it's dependent on your willingness to cooperate. And so who, who is right? Is a grace awakening right? So what does the Bible say about grace and its function in our life? And I want to take a quick look at that. First of all, let me say as a fundamental underpinning of it all, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you're saved through faith. You're saved by grace through faith. It is not by or contributed to works. It is a gift of God. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. A gift is a gift is a gift. If it's earned, it's not a gift. If it's deserved, it's not a gift. It is a gift, outright gift from God. It's, it's been said that grace, G-R-A-C-E, is God's riches at Christ's expense, and there's other little uh, things for that, and, and I like that, God's riches at Christ's expense. Gra- grace is the absolute favor of God toward us. It's a gift that cannot be earned does not, and is never deserved. It was paid for, purchased, and bought by Jesus Christ through his suffering death, burial, and resurrection that he did for us. He made us rich through his poverty. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you? Hope you do. That though he was rich, and was he rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. And I have become a rich person past my wildest dreams by being a born-again child of God. That's why you don't need to grapple after the things of this world to the place where you let the things of God go. If you've got to choose between the world and God, always choose to go for God. Because the things of this world you leave behind and, know, and, and somebody else gets them. But the things of God are permanent and untouchable. Thieves can't touch them. Rust can't touch them. Nothing can touch them. It's a beautiful thing. So the things you do for God in obedience to God with the light that he gives you, he says you have a permanent, eternal reward. Added to the salvation of your soul that you get to have eternal life. Wow. Though this is a gift from God, it came at a horrific cost to God. God the Father gave His only begotten Son. Nobody could put their mind around what that really means, that God the Father watched as they took Jesus and disrespected him and spit upon him and pulled his beard off and beat him to the place where the Bible said he wasn't recognizable as a man. 
He was humiliated in every way a person can be humiliated, stripped naked in public and mocked as he was suffering on the cross. They, it wasn't enough they were killing him. They wanted to mock him. They wanted to get to his spirit. They mocked him all the way. Why? They hated him. Why did he stay there when he could have changed it with a word? Because he loved you. The Bible says he loved you and gave himself for you. Don't you ever go through this life saying, nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll just eat worms. Don't do it. God loves you. And if God loves you, you don't. I, I'm going to say this carefully because I, I'm not, not trying to diminish the love of people. But if you have the love of God, you don't need any other love to survive. Now, it's nice to have the love of people. It's nice to have the love of a wife or love of a husband or love of children. But you can survive without them if you have the love of God. But you cannot survive without the love of God. Because the very definition of death in the Bible is separation from the love of God. You say, well, I thought death meant being going to hell. Yes, it is. Hell is a place where there's no God. And God is the essence of all that is considered honestly good and lovely and beautiful. I'm not talking about the world's definition of it now. I'm talking about the Bible's definition of it. Pure. The beauty of holiness. Now, that's a strange phrase to a worldling. Hey, it's beauty of what? I thought holiness was boring. Holiness meant you couldn't do this or couldn't do that. Are you crazy? Those things that God tells you not to do are harmful to you and damaging to you and will take your joy away. He says, believe in me, that your joy may be full. Following Christ is the only way that you're going to have full joy. The things of this world will take that joy away from you. Because remember, the God of this world is a proverbial liar. He's a deceiver. He makes good look bad and bad look good. He's the inventor of fake news. No amount of works can earn it. It's grace. So grace is wonderful, is free at reception, and is working in us that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right from the very first century, grace began to be abused. Paul had trouble with the perversion of grace from the very start of the church. So, so perversion of grace or the horror of perverted grace is not a new thing. It's, it's old, going way back to the very beginning. It makes sense that it would be attacked. The, fle the flesh takes grace, this perverted grace, and interprets it this way. And it, it says, I'm covered with the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, which is my possession. This is the flesh. I can basically live now like I want to live. I can enjoy the world without reservation because if I ask God to forgive me, he has to forgive me. So there's no restriction on me because everything's under grace. Now you say, you made that up. I didn't. People have talked to me like that. They have talked to me like that. I call it presuming on the grace of God. Oh, 
If I would ever be scared, I'm not scared of COVID, but I'm scared of presuming on the grace of God. You don't have to fear death, but fear presuming on the grace of God. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That's not blowing smoke, people. That's a real deal. You don't want to do despite to the spirit of grace. The spirit of what? Of grace. Don't want to do it. Hebrews 10, read it. Read it. But that's what the flesh does. But listen how Paul, the apostle through the Holy Spirit, corrects that in Romans chapter 6. You wondered if I was ever going to get to that, didn't you? What should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer, when I hold my hands up, say the word no all together. Ready? Oh, that's terrible. Let's try it again. One more time. No! Is that clock right back there? It's not possible that it's it's that late. I just started. Don't don't worry. I'll get you out by 1 o'clock. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There's two major questions in the book of, in the chapter 6 of the book of Romans. First questionnaire, he takes 14 verses basically to deal with. And he asks the question because these are, this is what's going on in his day. There's a perversion of the grace of God happening. Basically say, look, we'll just continue in sin and when we, have a, when we get ready, we'll come to God and ask Him to forgive us, and the grace of God will come upon us. So if we continue in sin, we get more grace. Whew. He says, oh, no. God forbid. Roman, verse uh, 15, you have the second question. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Because there's those people say, well, we're no, longer, we're no longer under the law of Moses, and that's true. But now we're under grace, and because we're under grace, now it's much more liberal. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything I say this morning, grace is not more liberal. It's more conservative than law ever thought about being. Law said, thou shalt not kill or murder. Grace says, don't hate anybody in your heart. You tell me which is more conservative. The law says, thou should not commit adultery. Grace says, don't you look on a man, don't you look on a woman to lust after. Because if you do, you're committing adultery in your heart. You tell me which is the more critical, the more more in-depth, the more hard. So grace deals with your motivation. Grace deals with your heart. Grace deals with the real issue of the whole thing, whereas law dealt with performance. Mostly law dealt with performance. If you performed the law, you weren't guilty of it. But in grace, you don't only have to perform it, but you have to have the spirit of it. So you don't you have the letter of the law, you have the spirit of the law. Big deal. It's a big difference. So grace, shall we sin because we're not under the law? Basically what he's saying is you think the law... Is, is tougher than grace? Huh. No. 
uh, verse 21 and 23 of the same book says, What fruit had ye then in those things wherever you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. For now, being made free from sin, that's grace, amen, and become servants of God, because that goes along with grace, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you put that in context, right? That's what that is, is putting that last verse in context. So under grace, we're made free from sin. We're given the power of God to overcome sin. We're not, we're not only told don't do it, we're given the power not to do it. So now I have the Holy Spirit dwelling within me, so now I, can, I do not have to sin. I am not under its power. If I walk in the power of the Spirit, I will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And that sets me free from being a servant of sin. Glory to God. People are happy when they get set free now. That's good. There's not a shred of Scripture that supports sinning under grace, meaning the presumption of it. It's okay, no problem, I'll continue in sin because grace is a lot lighter on me, a lot more liberal than the law was. No, no, no. There's not one scripture. There's none. There's nada. There's zip. There's zero. When we're dealing with the adulterous woman, Jesus, what did he tell her? John chapter 8, what did he tell her? Go and sin no more. Grace always tells you to go and sin no more. What about the impotent man? Uh, after 38 years of being impotent, that's crippled, badly crippled, not just a little crippled, badly crippled. He heals him. And what's he saying? John chapter 5, verse 14 to him. He says, Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and saith unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Now, I, I preach a whole message on that phrase. What could be worse than being crippled for 38 years in a society that had no disability, no social security, not much of a medical underpinning of any kind, was not friendly to handicapped people. They did not have handicapped parking for your mule. In the United States of America, we are so good to the handicapped. We have ramps that cost zillions, not billions, zillions of dollars to make. All Every major city in the United States of America has paid to have their curbs torn down and to pave a ramp on their curbs so that you can have a wheelchair and you can go up and down. I know a man that makes his living by that, Max Georgie. That's what he does for a living. Makes a good living doing it, by the way. The city of Detroit is, does nothing but continually spend money on that. Every major city out there does that. When I, when I go to a restaurant, I have to walk a long way. I always walk past two or three empty handicap spots. 
I would feel upset, but I need to walk. And I became thankful that I can walk. I had the gout so bad for years, and I, I went to my doctor and I asked him, "You don't if you don't if you don't know how gout how bad it is, it's 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 real bad." And so I, I felt like qualified for a handicap sticker. I really did. I mean, I was in agony. I was on I was in crutches a lot of the time, and I couldn't move without agonizing pain. And so I went to my doctor and I said, "I need." one of those handicap permits to get in. And they said, uh, what's wrong with you? I said, I got horrible gout. And they said, it's not permanent. You can't have it. I remember I'd have a gout attack, I'd get over it. But I'd have so many of them. I was having them more and more and more as time went on. So I said, well, look, I have like 10 of these a year. I, I need it. I won't use it. I won't use it. He said, you can't have it. I went to three doctors. Nobody would give me a handicap permit. Those handicap permits, I was about ready to go to somebody with one and say, I'll give you 1000 bucks if I can use that. We treat our handicapped people good. Don't you ever apologize for America. But this old impotent man, he didn't get treated good. A lot of times it left him to die. And Jesus said to him, sin no more lest the worst thing come unto thee. That's grace. That's not under the law of Moses. That's under grace. So don't you come to me and say, oh, grace, grace, man, grace is sweet. Man, I can kind of, I'm, I'm not, you know, I can kind of do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it, be like I want to be, do what you want to do. I can't tell you. And, and I mean, you know, I just, you just, and you just, you're lying to yourself because that's not what the Bible says. In fact, by all of this great privilege that I've been given makes me more responsible. Does that make sense to you? The higher the, the, higher the response, the more responsibility, the more accountability. That's where I want, that's where I want to go. Right? When President Bill Clinton had a sexual affair in, in the Oval Office, he should have been thrown out of office. On his ear, in shame. Why? Because he wasn't just the average Joe. He was the President of the United States of America, and he was committing an illicit act on his wife in the midst of the place that he was allowed to live. They should, Are they breaking in on us? And so you, you shouldn't, you, 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 with, more responsi with more responsibility comes more accountability. Under grace, under the law, they had an accountability. Yes, they did, but they didn't have the privilege we have. So under grace, we got this great accountability. We got this great responsibility and this great gift. And consequently, we're so accountable to God. So I can say unequivocally, that under grace, we have more accountability than under law. Consequently, I don't, I don't have less of a standard of spiritual living under grace than I did under law. I have more. And that's, what, that's the whole reasoning with Romans chapter 6. A woman anointed Jesus' feet. You remember, I think it was Mary Magdalene, but you think who it was. 
anointed Jesus' feet, wiped them with her hair the whole time she was crying. Luke chapter 7, verse 47 says, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. That's that ratio. That's that ratio right there. The more you're forgiven, the more you love. So how much you've been forgiven? How much you've been forgiven, Brother Zook? You're an 85-year-old man. 87. Always under guess, right? You keep, people keep changing. 85. I mean, come on. You have the grace of God been given to you. You've been forgiven all your sins, all of your sin. The, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, should be white as snow. You mean to tell me when I face God, he's not going to bring my sins up to me? He's not. Because they were taken by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now your deeds will be done, your deeds will be judged, your works will be done. What you did with the light you had will be judged, absolutely. But if as far as your actual sin go, they're under the blood, brother. And God forbid, and what an insult it is for recipients of grace to go back into sin because they're recipients of grace. It's the horror of perverted grace. We did not need a grace awakening. We needed a holiness awakening. We needed a personal respect for the responsibility that we have in Christ's awakening. Right? We need to, I mean, Hebrews 2, 3 says, how shall we escape? New Testament, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? You tell me. The answer to that is you're not going to. People who have received grace are more grateful, more careful, more concerned about offending the one who forgave them and loves them so much. Not less, but more. So the New Testament makes it abundantly clear what offends God and to avoid it. What offends God? Well, being a friend of the world, as I mentioned. Do not love the world. Immorality offends God. There's many things that offend God. <clears throat> I like in Revelation chapter 18, verse 4 to 5 says this, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that she be not partakers of her sins, and that she not re and you receive not her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God remembered her iniquities. We're to obey the moral law of the Old Testament and the New. I counted one time 127 imperatives in the Greek, commands of Jesus Christ. She said, if you keep my commandments, you love me. People don't talk about that much. What are the commandments of Jesus Christ? Can you name them? They're in the New Testament. There's at least 120 plus of them. And you're responsible to know them and to obey them. So the New Testament has very specific manner of living laid out in very careful detail to the believer. 
It's not some hodgepodge. You, you think about it whatever you want, and I think about it whatever I want, and we just do every man doing that which is right in his own eyes. No, no, it's, it's defined real carefully. It's defined in the book of Romans through the book of Jude, specifically. You need to know those books, man. You need to be all over it. Romans chapter 6, verse 2 says, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that as many of us were baptized in Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we're buried with him a baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted again in the likeness of his death, you also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. I like in verse 11 through 14, the same book, he says, Likewise, because of this, let us reckon ye yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin reign. Don't let it in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield, that's your responsibility mind. neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness, your hands, your eyes, your ears, your senses. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And here's the, the capstone to that in verse 14 of chapter 6 of Romans. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Under means the authority. When I'm under authority, but the centurion said, I'm a man under authority. We're under the authority of grace now. We're not under the authority of the Mosaic law. That brought us to grace. It brought us to Christ as a schoolmaster. And so now, woo, we're under the authority of grace. You don't hear much talk about that. You hear talking about grace as if it freed you up to kind of do your thing, but you don't hear much about the talking of grace that it really brings you under an obligation of obeying God, even more than the law ever did. Christian, be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. That's New Testament. Peter quotes Leviticus. Be holy. What's holy? Like God. Be like God. Separate from the things he separates from. Love the things he loves. Like the things he likes. Do the things he wants you to do. And you can know them. They're all knowable. They're all doable. And more than all of that, we're given the power to do it. Under grace, you're given the very Holy Spirit of God, the very power to do it. When grace is used as an excuse to sin, it is a double insult to the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ who paid for it. Sin is never made acceptable under grace. Go and sin no more is still Jesus' words to all people who repent. Now that you've repented, don't go back into it. Don't do it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. He that soweth the flesh, reap of the flesh corruption. He that soweth the spirit, reap of the spirit life everlasting. 
That's Galatians 6, 7, and 8. It's New Testament. I haven't gone into the Old Testament much. It's all New Testament. This is grace. This is Bible grace. Now you say, Brother Bill, you mean there are people out there that get infected with this? I hate to say it, but there are millions of them. Whole denominations are infected with this. A perversion of grace. And I hate to say it, you know who the worst of all them are? They're preachers. Who did, who did Jeremiah and Ezekiel bring railing accusation against for the failure of Israel? They're shepherds. It starts with leadership. It's been said everything rises and falls on leadership. Yeah, well, wickedness also starts in leadership. It starts in leadership and moves its way down. We, you see that, hey, you can see that in your government. You can see that everywhere you look. Leadership, everything is important. Man, leadership's, God gives us good leaders, we have good time. He gives us bad leaders, we get bad time. Every avenue in every area of government, every area of life. You want people that are honest before God and true before Him that want to do right and they're not in it for themselves. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. I hope you can say that this morning. I hope you've been a recipient of the grace of God and you know Christ your personal Savior. If you haven't, Oh my, you have a great opportunity as long as you can think, as long as you breathe and think, the Holy Spirit's there, you can be saved. You say, Brother Bill, will there be a time the Holy Spirit won't be there? I believe there is. I don't think God's on your beck and call. I think God comes by your house. He's under really no obligation to do it, but He comes by it because of grace. He comes by your house and convicts you of sin and your need for a Savior, you say no. Maybe he comes by a second time. You say no. Maybe he comes by a third time. You say no. Maybe he comes by the fourth time. You say no. Maybe he never comes back. He never comes back. You say, I can get saved before. I'll go some wild oats to get saved. No, folks, it's not that way. Remember I just quoted Galatians, God is not mocked. You're not going to mock God. You're not going to outthink God. You're not going to use his words against him. You're not going to take the Bible and say, this is what it says to God. You can't do that. I used to try to do that with my mom and dad. It did not work well. I used to tell my dad, but mom said, and he'd say, well, if she did say that, I'm, ba I'm backing her up. I go, oh, no, not that. Well, you're not going to take the Bible and use it against God who wrote it, and the Holy Spirit. No, no. No. It's going to have to be honest. I hope you're under grace. I encourage you, implore you, beg you, beseech you. Be reconciled to God. Trust Jesus as your personal Savior as a sin bearer of the sin offering that died once for all. And you can have the Holy Spirit of God. You can have the, the riches of heaven can be yours. You can be born from above. Now, born again Christian, woo, 
you've got a high responsibility now that you're a recipient of the grace of God. Live like that. Live like that. Father, help us this morning. Give us wisdom to understand this truth. May blessed Holy Spirit, you preach it the way I could not, and you do what I could not do. Father, we pray that strike from the memory of these people anything that was misspoken, missaid, or not right, and have them only know what was right and what was true to the Word of God. Father, we pray that you'd anoint churches all over America, all over the world right now that are, that are languishing in this governmental shutdown and restriction of meetings. All of our missionaries that I read in letters all over the world are, are being, as it were, oppressed. Stopped. Their meetings have been stopped. They're, some of them can't even leave their homes. My God, you'd help them. Help them to know when that the call from above is greater than the call from below. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand if you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.